Soul Talk is a podcast dedicated to making space for Latinx storytellers and content creators across all media to chat about their art, experiences, and culture. As a branch of the Soul Project, Soul Talk welcomes you to the green room. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Soul Talk. My name is Joey Reyes. I'm the producing assistant with the Soul Project, and I'm here with David Mendezabel, and I am the associate artistic director here at the Soul Project. And today we're very excited to be joined by two incredible artists, activists, human beings, yes. um, starting with... First, we have Guadalice Del Carmen. Guadalice is a Chicago-born and bred playwright and performer. Um, she is the co-artistic director of the Latinx Playwright Circle, an Ars Nova resident artist. Her plays include Not for Sale, which was a commission world premiered at Urban Theatre Company and a Jeff Award New Play nominee. My Father's Keeper, uh, which was part of the LTC Carnaval, Bees and Honey, which was a Kilroy's List uh, 2019 mention, and uh, A Shiro's Journey, or What Anakaona and Yemaya Taught Me, which you uh, was published in Yale Magazine 2019. And also, uh, you can listen to on the Parsnip Ships podcast season four. Uh, her work has been featured in uh, Soul Project Soul Fest here in New York City, as well as the San Diego Repertory uh, Latinx New Play Festival. Yes, that is our first guest. Our second guest is John Peña. John is an Afro-Latinx creative activist from Washington Heights, combining their passion for queer art, cultural awareness, and community growth. John has founded the Reina Project. Reina Project taps from the wealth of QPOC talent in NYC to produce spaces that center their narratives, bodies, and liberation through art. Through this, John has been able to cultivate a variety of experiences in NYC, from an art installation in the Bronx to a panel at this year's FlameCon and more. Partnering with countless community members, local organizations, and national platforms, John hopes to continue to display the beauty of QPOC autonomy, art, and liberation. Um, yeah, what are we going to be talking with, to Such them about an today? Exciting, <laughs> exciting panel. Yeah, no, today we're going to talk a lot about community identity. What does community actually mean to you? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, what community do you bring into the room? You know, these are both artists and activists who have created their own organizations that are really centered around the liberation of uh, people of color and, you know, queer people of color, black people, femme mm -hmm. people. Uh, and so I'm really excited to see, you know, where this conversation will take us. I'm sure we'll talk a lot about decolonization and mm -hmm. and just the ongoing work uh, that is required of each and every one of us to remind us of our own humanity. Absolutely. And I feel like we might dip into just some nice a deep dive into into things you know like oh, yeah. i feel like a lot of the time when we're entering conversations about decolonization there's there's a lot more to it than you anticipate at times and so sometimes Absolutely. like you just have to like take those deep breaths but it's very necessary in order to keep the the movement the revolution growing and going absolutely we'll be right back with our two guests Hi, welcome to John and Guadalese. Yeah. How are you today? Welcome to Soul Talk. <laughs> doing well, Thank doing you. well. Good, great. So we just wanted to allow you to like, take a moment to introduce yourselves. You know, we've just sort of like given your biographies, um, but we want to like allow you the space to say who you are. <laughs> no problem. So I'll get us started. I am John Pena of Rainer Project. Uh, I started this small initiative to center queer POC voices and more specifically women of color and trans women of color. Uh, Reina is queen in Spanish. I think it's important to pay homage and also center the voices of people that have allowed us to occupy the spaces we do as queer people. And through that, I've been able to produce different venues for artistic expression, activism, protests, etc., 
working with organizations like No New Jails, Take Back the Bronx, etc., in social movement within New York City for the structural issues that we are just tired of dealing with and are trying to take and give platforms to. So far, we've been able to raise a lot of money through drag productions, artistic offerings like singing, etc., like all forms of performance, um, centering queer people that are super, super talented and giving them autonomy over their work. And we've been able to raise awareness and funds for uh, things like hurricane relief, uh, child immigration, um, lawyers, and other initiatives. And I really, really appreciate continuing to be offered platforms to talk about this stuff. So I really appreciate you guys having me here of course of course amazing thank you for being here i'm guadalisto carmen i'm actually the co-artistic director of the latinx playwright circle we basically are a nurturing ground for latinx playwrights um and also we part of what we want to do is be able to create a network for pwis and theaters throughout the city of new york to get to know the different latinx playwrights that we nurture and that we help to develop their plays so i would say we're kind of like aiming to be the latinx lark Mm. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um i'm a playwright and a performer as well Amazing. And you all recently, it was announced that you have a residency at Primary Stages, which is super exciting. Yeah, uh, we've been, we had like small uh, reading series earlier this year with Primary Stages. They invited us to be part of that. And then it was like, why don't you guys just, you know, be part of our organization? Like, we'll offer you a residency, which is great. It's, we're learning a lot about what it means to work with a with a PWI. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also they've been really lovely. And Aaron Daly, who's been one of our biggest champions there, has been very open to pretty much anything we've wanted to do. So that's been, that's been really dope. But yeah, yeah, the blessings have definitely been raining on, on our organization. That's awesome. Awesome. And for anyone who is unaware of what PWI is, that is predominantly white institution. (laughs) (laughs) Just to clarify that in case anybody is unaware. (laughs) There's going to be a whole glossary at the end. (laughs) All the acronyms explained. There'll be a link link on the Soul Talk podcast. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you both for introducing yourselves and for your incredible advocacy and the work that you're doing in the field to uplift uh, the voices of so many others. I think, you know, one of the things that we often talk about here on soul talk is this idea of community you know and and you know when you go into these pwis <laughs> uh many times they're like we want the community to come mm-hmm. and you're like okay well what does that, what mean, does that mean to you mm-hmm. and who is the community and so i'd love for you to each talk about like your sense of community like who is your community who are you here um representing who do you bring with you when you walk into the room and who are you sort of championing you, you started talking about that already but if you want to expand on that a little more so when i talk about community i I talk about the people that uplift me, like my ancestors, the people that come around me that are predominantly people of color, women of color, femmes of color that uplift me and continue to support me and I support them. I'm aiming towards social and collective liberation. So I think that requires interdependence. Mm -hmm. Everyone is community. But when you're operating within PWIs, I want to highlight that for white people this idea of community comes at a risk of consumption for people of color because Mm. we are offering them that cultural context we are offering them that idea of culture and solidarity Um, and it can border along the line of we're being consumed our narratives are being consumed so that these people can get this insight into our community so that they can do their work and that's not like that's where the I feel like this conversation keeps coming up because we as people of color have a very hard time like or black people have a hard time coming into these spaces 
and being like having this institutional idea of community, essentially the co-opting of grassroots terminology and ancestral terminology. Mm. Like Mm -hmm. we believed in communities back then and now white people want us to bring this back to them through their institutions. So it's a longer conversation to be had. But for myself, it's queer people, femmes of color um, that are doing the work and that are showing up and that are creating new pathways for us to be autonomous in our art and collective liberation. Yeah, I think Mm -hmm. that's amazing. I think I I often think of that, especially in the theater, you know, this idea of like a consumerist identity or like, you know, I always say like theater is not it's not a spectator sport. It's not it's not for consumers. And, you know, by just by attending a show that has people of color on stage and sitting there and consuming their story does not actually mean you're doing anything. Mm -hmm. You know, you literally didn't do anything except watch a play and perpetuate the harm that has existed for 500 years. Like it's it's a very different way that the same harm that we've experienced by being displaced and be, having our labor used exists in today's day because they can't beat us anymore. So now no. they take our identities, they take our culture, which no. they've always done, but now no. in different more yeah, like absolutely, community, yeah. quote unquote, yeah. ways. And it's the work that you do after that. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 what are you actually actively doing beyond you know uh, 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 that story and how much, of, how much of yourself are you giving over also to those performers, um, you know? Yeah. redistribute those resources absolutely absolutely <laughs> and financial and otherwise you know i think there are so many ways in which there can be a sort of communal reciprocal exchange that happens that as doesn't long as offer. we're all showing up as our full embodied selves traumas privileges everything yeah. um then then we can make community until we're willing to like let go of all this armor all this hesitation all this harm that we've experienced which is very real which we can hold on to and but that we can only do that within places where we feel comfortable and that's not very often yeah absolutely what a lease uh yeah <laughs> no i totally agree with that i think that's um you know i identify as a black latina and even within that i <sighs> <laughs> some days i just am like i'm black taina today because sometimes y'all just but you know at the end of the day it's like to me community has always been important just because when it comes to theater i first started working with community theater, Mm -hmm. literally working in the community. Um, So for me, you know, the Latinx community, obviously, black women, um, and even though I'm, you know, cis and for the most part straight, um, (laughs) you know, I still, you know, it is, right? Um, I'm always looking at ways that I can, like, decenter myself and try Mm -hmm. to, like, you know, center people that are even more, even as a black woman, like, I'm just like, I'm light-skinned, so it's like, Mm. there's absolute privilege in that, and it's like, how can I center, you know, those that are even more marginalized, you know, uh, than I am. And so I just like you, I love that you that you said that, you know, the shoulders that you walk on. It's like I, that's tr- how I try to enter rooms as well, because it's once you recognize how, you know, whether it's colorism or racism, how these different, you know, systemic um, forms of oppression work, um, it just totally opens your mind and how you yourself have benefited uh, from mm-hmm. these different systems, too. So, yeah. And, and I think with theater, it's very interesting doing theater in, for example, um, I've worked with Urban Theater uh, Company in Chicago, and mm-hmm. they do predominantly work within the Puerto Rican community. They're founded by Puerto Ricans. And it's very interesting doing work within uh, that theater and then doing work within PWIs. It's a totally. much different type of, quote unquote, consumption. Yeah. Um, and the work is received 
differently, yeah. right? Yeah. Whereas in, in communities of color or oppressed communities, the work seems like a breath. Yeah. And abundant. And, and it, it's easier. It's easier to work with your own people. There's less like emails you yeah. have to send, less phone calls <laughs> you have to make, and people mm-hmm. just believe in you. Yeah. Well, as a practitioner, yeah. Mm-hmm. But when I look at like audiences, I feel yeah. like um, the you know what I've seen, it's like it almost feels healing yeah, um, and absolutely. seeing, you know, your frustrations being acknowledged and represented on stage. Whereas in PWS, like, oh, that's an interesting, yeah. you yeah. know, like, uh, that's an interesting take on that. Well, and allowing <laughs> to sort of that. be there from a place of truth instead of have a place of explanation, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, mm-hmm. who, who is it being presented for? You, you mentioned two things that I wanted to unpack a little bit because you talked about, um, you know, growing up in, uh, in community theater. And I always have this... Uh, negative reaction when people talk about community theater because oftentimes they're saying it with a negative connotation and I'm sort of like if you're not if all theater is not community theater then what is it do you know Mm -hmm. and I often you know see a lot of these places they're like oh that's community theater with this idea that like it's not going to be good or whatever and I think I think back to a lot of the work that I've done and the work that I do even at predominantly white institutions at my own institution at the movement you know and all of it I consider community theater all of it I'm like I am making theater with for by about community and the people Mm -hmm. that I bring into this room and so yeah it's just something that I that I that I hear so much especially in the field Um, there's a sort of this or that mentality there's an elitist look at yeah Mm -hmm. how theater is labeled and how theater is looked at. Yeah. And which ultimately uh, defines who gets the funding. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to talk on that because it's the same thing that happens in academia and just like social movement spaces. It's like just because this white person that went to college read Marx and can digest and process critical theory doesn't mean that someone from the hood isn't articulating absolutely. the same things with the same termino- with different terminology. Absolutely. Um, and then once again, these Great. institutions get That's to fun. get to pedestal certain voices mm-hmm. over other voices and prepare this harm that has existed by by putting white people and like Marxism and communism and all these studies as I see them is them articulating the struggles of people of color. I actually haven't opened any of these books. This is all stuff that I've heard from other Absolutely. people just because I don't want it in my vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Like I just reject it mm-hmm. because it is a white person articulating the struggles of people of color mm-hmm. and it's like they're deconstructing ing- indigenous um, movements that have existed and they're documenting these things and it's like yes it's documented here but you guys had to destroy all this other mm-hmm. documentation for this Absolutely. person to have this platform and say mm-hmm. these things when we people of color indigenous communities have had this ancestral knowledge within us and had been operated within it before everything was destroyed yeah. i love that you said that because it's i feel like most of what i've learned that is now being articulated uh i learned in the hood mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah you know and i feel like you know, we work through a very oral type of passing down of information and history. And, you know, unfortunately for centuries, it's who's able to document them. That's who's recognized as being like the bearer of intellect. But yeah, I, I think that there's so much knowledge within ourselves. And also, you know, the things that we've experienced as people of, you know, oppressed people um, in the Americas, um, we to a certain extent, like we have the memory. Mm-hmm. You can't erase, you know, all the damage that has been done. Um, but unfortunately, it's not acknowledged until it's put into an academic book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It's kind of it, it then it allows for people to have this idea that that there's ownership over history because mm-hmm. there are people that documented it in such a way. And I think I think for for me, I'm 
struggling with like the idea of like ownership over history and ownership over land mm. i think it's more of i think if we're going to adjust our mind around that better it should be looking at it as a relationship mm-hmm. how are what is our relationship to the land what is our relationship to history mm-hmm. and how can we progress forward mm-hmm. yeah. um if we kind of like just shift the thinking a little bit because i think they're in i mean obviously in a very capitalistic consumerist society people want to claim ownership ownership over something um but yeah i think i think just that little shift would like make a lot of changes. Yeah. Because we are in relationship to each other and there's a reason that capitalism makes us feel like we exist in this vacuum. It's a reason that social media keeps us in our bedrooms as opposed to meeting with each other. Mm. All these things work to isolate us so that we don't feel like we're in community and it makes it harder to, for us to find each other. Like Instagram has shadow banning so that if a queer person of color is producing the same type of art that you're producing, it's being blocked so that other oh people gosh, can't see it. Yes. Um, the censorship still does exist so that it's harder for us to draw these lines i like to think of all of us as children of the diaspora like that diaspora is a term that we like most of us understand mm-hmm. like we're all displaced like no one is from where they were originally therefore we have to think about the intersectionalities of our personality and our makeup to then correct the wrongs that have existed because of this displacement that's why when i see other people of color i'm just like yo you're a sibling like it yeah. doesn't matter where you're from like because we have latinita because we have this mestizaje because we have all these other structures in which social harm has been pushed onto us and then we perpetuate because we've experienced it for so long mm-hmm. and we have to acclimate um, that we, our generation, millennials, Gen Zs, et cetera, are coming into this understanding that we can't, we can't be, we can't afford to be as mixy as white people want us to be. Mm-hmm. We have to be aligned with each other so that we can collectively liberate each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and that comes with different privileges. People have to be able to sit down when they think they should be talking and all mm-hmm. these other things that come into play. Accountability mm-hmm. within ourselves. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You sort of mentioned a lot about also, you know, unpacking the ways in which you, you sort of walk into a room and an identity. And, and you mentioned something actually, at least just recently, which is Joey and I were talking about a little earlier. You said, sometimes I feel like uh, Afrotaina. And it makes me think of, you know, India Moore, who mm-hmm. who, who came out and identifies as Afro-Taina mm-hmm. and not Latina because she doesn't identify as white. They. Mm-hmm. They, I'm they. So, they. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Thank you. They. Thank you. They identify as Afro-Taina and not as Latina because they don't identify as white. And, you know, there's such an interesting, complex identity politic there that, that I'd love to, to hear more about from the both of you and the ways in which I think sort of thinking about language and the ways in which language is used in some ways to, to, to trap us and lock us in and in the ways in which language also frees us, you know, especially as it relates to our own individual identities. Well, I... I think, and I follow India more, and I appreciate a lot of what they elevate when it comes to identity because it it does force me to look at, you know, how I identify, but it also feels like I'm not alone Mm -hmm. because, I mean, just from my, my own frustrations within the Latinx community in trying to find what identity, you know, works for us all, it's, it's, I'm just like, I don't know that we can find something that Mm. fits everyone, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And for myself, it's, you know, what feels the most right for me is Afro Taina. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes even then I'm like, but how much Taina Mm. can I, (laughs) you know what I mean? Just because of how much is known or not known or how much is, is, you know, was left to survive. That's a conversation that I think a lot 
of us are having, especially those of us that are the most marginalized within our community. Mm. Because we, you know, there's the thing of like, well, who's really speaking for us? Who's advocating for us? Um, And they brought up a really important point in that the name itself is still a European name, Mm -hmm. you know, and the way that language works, it's still very oppressive. Mm -hmm. And I, I will have, I've had arguments with people who are Spanish purists Uh and, you know, I'm very much of the, I don't give a damn. My ancestors were forced to learn this language. The Spanish that you get is the Spanish that you're going to get. And when you look at how Spanish is spoken throughout Latin America, you know, the different ways that it has been adapted Mm -hmm. uh, regionally, even within one country, the different ways that people express themselves. And then I look at even with anti-blackness within that. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. I have seen the many ways that, for example, Dominicans are uh, seen as, oh, they don't speak Spanish right. Mm -hmm. But that's because we speak black Spanish vernacular, Mm -hmm. you know. And and that's anti black, you know what I mean. Yeah, so it's like absolutely. all these cool when they want to use it in a rap. Exactly. And oh my gosh! Like yes. And they yes. And Maluma, and Maluma, and you know Carol G, and all these like non black folk that have absolutely no clue what they're saying because most of the songs that they are you know rapping on or quote unquote rapping. Um, they're they're written by black producers. Right. They're written by black Latinx producers, and they're speaking, you know, the, what they're used to speaking, you know, in the in, in Latin American hood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's yeah, like identity is such a. I think individually, we all have to figure out what that means for us. Absolutely. Because yes, I think having a community is important on a larger scale when we're looking at funding and how to like move forward and how to like create space. But I think that. And this is something that I've had conversations with others, and I feel like I've had this conversation with you, David, of we're not really advocating for each other. Mm -hmm. We're advocating for ourselves instead of working as a community. And I think that's what's held us back a lot. Mm -hmm. So it's like if we can't agree on a name. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Where how are we going to make any actual progress? You know what I mean? And I think that's also how whiteness and Eurocentricity holds its power is because we're still arguing over this name when we have to start advocating for each other. Um, And the whole not advocating for each other depends on the spaces you occupy, Mm because I work in a lot of social movement and I see how people show up for each other consistently, how people hold each other accountable to sustainability, um, all these different topics that I think we talk about separately and then bringing it into practice, like checking in on each other like hey how can i best support you this week things like that that are very beautiful and that are happening and just have to become more regular practice within each other because we understand how we've been harmed Mm. um but on this whole identity thing like i've partaken on what i call a decolonization practice over the last year and that means Mm -hmm. like a lot of research a lot of unpacking conditions unpacking privileges uh different conversations that i've had with uh indigenous uh afro-caribbean etc people that i'm continuously having this dialogue like i meet up with my friends and talk to them and this involves white people too even though i only have two white friends left because mm-hmm. um, <laughs> they need their own form of intergenerational healing and i'm trying to Absolutely. figure out how that works and i'm trying to work through people that want to and like the well intentions are there but sometimes like the fragility gets in the way mm. um <laughs> yes i will talk about it in a minute well can i just say not to interrupt you but can i just say i did have a conversation with someone that used to be in my roommate she like her background is scott is scottish or irish i think it was scottish but she was talking about like decolonizing like her own identity and figuring out like 
how like what her ancestral way of life is and i think that's when the that's what that was one of the times where i was like yeah y'all got ancestors too like what was that about yeah. like, you know what I'm saying? like I, you know what i'm saying like yeah y'all have vikings what's what's good with what's that what's yeah. good with that let's figure out what that is instead of trying to like appropriate you know what i'm saying yeah, yeah and that the appropriation thing is really interesting um but they don't want to look at their history because the immediate history they have is so violent and yeah. disgusting and they can't reckon with that there should be a way for them to reckon with that and Absolutely. we see them we see a lot of them trying to reckon with that but it becomes like unsustainable like pick up bad traits etc um but in this decolonization practice and like becoming myself and becoming more authentic i think everyone needs to go on a route to becoming their more authentic self without the guise of capitalism without uh-huh. the guise of genders etc i don't exist within binaries i don't practice capitalism i need to figure out how to practice it because i'm not good at it right now the way i'm working mm. um and i understand that i still have to operate within it but like me having that perspective and that nuance also affects how other people see me because other people are operating within capitalism. They are operating within binaries. And being presented with a really embodied person can sometimes cause people to project the things within society that they might attribute to these things. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting conversation that I just wanted to bring up because there are people, there are indigenous people, etc., that probably operate in the same way. I think um, India more like gender variants and all Mm -hmm. this other thing they're trying to bring up this conversation of like what happens when we don't exist within capitalism what happens when we Mm -hmm. don't want to participate and how do we get there um and and it's community and that's community and that's uh interdependence and that's um a lot of reflection a lot of journaling a lot of listening of other to other stories of people from diaspora and the histories of harm and like looking at it and then seeing how it applies to your life and your practice and what makes you happy um and i've been able to do a lot of work through that and i'm very grateful but it's painful it's a mm-hmm. lot of digging and processing yeah and mm-hmm. i feel like it's especially hard in an environment like you know i love new york city but there's just so much about non community mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that it's like you have to really go out of your way to to make community i follow dr marta moreno vega who i'm like obsessed with because she talks a lot about decolonizing your identity but she also functions from a place of community as a form of moving away from a capitalistic way of existing in the world and i think that like you know what you said was really important because it's it's really hard doing mm-hmm. that in a city like this. And how do you exist? And how do you function? And how do you thrive? And it's how do you... painful. Yeah. It is a painful existence. And it's not one that I'm by myself. I have community that I talk to these things with. We're in different places in our practices. We're in different places in our privileges, etc. Where we just have to continue having these conversations because there aren't spaces for us to have it. And it's painful. It's really mm-hmm. hard to do it in a city like New York City. And we understand the isolationism, the individualism that capitalism breeds, the consumerism that capitalism breeds. And we're like we just don't want to perpetuate it we don't want to participate if you're going to see me through this like consumption lens or like you're going to want to spend time with me because of what you're going to get from me then Mm -hmm. it's just not happening um and instagram social media etc just perpetuates all these ways where we think we're all by ourselves but once again we're shouting into a vacuum where people are affirming us in their own small ways but we're not listening to what the affirming message should be because you know our current political climate yeah yeah. I, I'm also, mm, I hesitate to like bring this into the table, but it's what I'm thinking about. So um, I'm also thinking about how like Christianity and Catholicism and how it plays into mm-hmm. 
and intertwines in all of these practices too because I keep hearing the word community and it's it's funny I haven't heard it like buzz around me this much and since I was an undergrad when um, I went to a private Christian university mm-hmm. and and the four cor- cornerstones were Christ scholarship community and service and so community was a huge buzzword and at the time when I was a student I'm not exactly sure what the statistics were but it was a PWI. Mm-hmm. Um, and since leaving the institution, they have then started to sort of, I guess, boast and market that the student uh, body is 51% non-white. But I'm also wondering, too, having been spent four years there, like, what does that mean for them? You know, mm-hmm. for the school, it means that they get to say that. Right. <laughs> and get, <laughs> but and they're get still, money. Yeah. 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 And, <laughs> and because it's a private institution, too. But I'm, But I'm also wondering, like, yeah, but that doesn't mean it's not still being oppressive to them. Mm-hmm. Mm. Or, or you know, I, I for myself, in the decolonization practice, realized that I just could not associate with Christianity anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do have, like, the understanding. I took the Bible classes and looked at the Bible from an academic mm-hmm. perspective. And, some great and stories. I, and I, <laughs> some <laughs> lovely stories. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I... I uh, yeah, it just it got harder and harder. Mm-hmm. And and funny enough, it wasn't until my senior year when I read a play for theater history class called Divine Narcissus, written by Sor de Juana, I believe. Mm-hmm. She was a Spanish nun. Mm-hmm. And it's just this dramatization of colonization. And, you know, you've got the character of America being played by natives and then like the characters of Christianity or, or Catholicism and like it's literally dramatizing how teaching the native folks about like you need to assimilate Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that for me was so so eye-opening and so painful i got to that point um realizing i was like this there's just so much harm harm Mm -hmm. yeah forced harm and forced assimilation that has now trickled down over years and years and years and years Mm -hmm. and years and so how what does it mean to try to like reverse all of that or to like get back to roots because even you know we're sitting here now speaking in english mm-hmm. yeah and and even if we were doing it in spanish it's still like a colonizer's language yeah. so. i'm learning arawak <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I'm literally trying to learn arawak over here <laughs> yeah. um yeah you know i think when we start to remove or not remove separate christianity from spirituality i think it's a little more freeing. Mm-hmm. At least it's been for me. Because I grew up like super hella Christian. Mm-hmm. Hella Christian. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, recently, Kirk Franklin. I don't know if you guys like uh-huh. have read any of what has happened with Kirk Franklin. Like every time Kirk Franklin gets a, a, like a Dove Award is like the Grammys of the Christian world. And every time he's gone up to receive an award, they cut him off when he goes to talk about like poli- police brutality and uh-huh. what black you know, people have been experiencing oh. in this country. They've done it multiple times. And finally he was like, I'm done with you guys. That's it. And for me, for the past few years, I have developed a, a, um, an anger, I guess, or maybe like a um, a frustration with like the Christian church or just church in general, because there's like this thing of like completely disregarding black struggle and black mm. pain or just any pain that any oppressed group goes through and a lot of it is like well just pray to the lord and it's like okay yes yeah but also uh yes. we need some action yeah. i mean jesus did flip some tables when he got annoyed and frustrated <laughs> with y'all so uh when are we gonna flip some tables right you know and then and even looking back at history like martin luther king was receiving letters from like the church telling him to like stop doing what he's doing yeah and you know i'm glad that you brought that up because i feel like that has been such a huge 
way of keeping people docile mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and keeping people from recognizing the harm that the church has actually done. Mm-hmm. You know, and I still consider myself Christian, but it's from a very spiritual stand- mm-hmm. standpoint. I don't affiliate with any church until I see the work. Right. You know what I mean? Until I see proof that there is an actual desire to want to rectify the damage that has been done. And it's mm-hmm. a lot of damage. But yeah, I, you know, that I think that that's such a important conversation to have, especially for, uh, you know, us that identify within the Latinx community because Catholicism is such to oppress our people. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, In having that conversation, I also went to Catholic school. Like I didn't do my homework. Like I've been like rebellious since I was in school. And like when I didn't do my homework, they'd make us sit during school and after school in detention and write from the Bible. Um, And that happened for four years. So um, I can probably tell you the Bible from front to back. (laughs) My my relationship with Christianity and I think in like 2012, 2013, when I started having this dialogue with myself from leaving the church, I was like, I know the church will always be there if I want it. I know what it has to offer me, but I don't think I need it at the moment. And I don't think and that was a dialogue I had in like 2013 when I was like 18, 19. Um, And then as I've gotten older and decolonized my practice, I realized the harm that it has it has created. I realized how it was used to wipe our tongues away. We're speaking in English, Spanish, et cetera. The Bible was a tool that was used to do that. The Spanish Inquisition worked. Like, it literally worked. Like, Spanish people went and hurt people with the Bible, and now we have symptoms of it through slavery, indentured servitude, et cetera, that were perpetuated by Christianity and coerces us into complacency. It coerces us into identifying with our oppressors, biases, et cetera. Um, And I can't deny that, like, a person, Jesus, et cetera, all these people did exist. But I do think that since we already know that Christianity has adopted paganism in the way that it celebrates Christmas and Mm -hmm. other holidays, and Mm -hmm. I feel like it's stolen from a bunch of other cultures. Passover, Easter. I can't help but feel that Christianity has done the same thing that colonization does and just given itself new names, Mm -hmm. um, made itself look like our cultures, Mm -hmm. made itself look like things that we were already familiar with. Mm -hmm. Um, And we know that the Bible we have now is not the same one we had back then. So how many times has it been rewritten for our individual tribes so that they could hand it to us and be like, oh, look, this page looks like this thing that you have on your wall. Why don't you, like, read it and Absolutely. pass it on to your people? So that's what I feel Christianity has done. Um, and the harm that has occurred, the colorism, et cetera, that it perpetuates and continues to perpetuate in our culture. Um, I don't know how we get through to the people that are so deeply ingrained in the indoctrination that Christianity has wanted to perpetuate, has been able to perpetuate for so many years. Um, but it exists, and I think we need to start having that conversation because it's real. And, like, we have experienced it by being part of these things and then moving from Christianity to spirituality and being able to let go. Like, yeah. I understand that this book, these ways of beings, this conditioning, all these other things are the only thing that you have known or have operated under, but we have to be free to let them go. Mm. Um, I had a friend who I was having a conversation earlier this week who is still practice like prayer circles with their friends, etc. And I think it's a beautiful practice. Um, but we were having conversations about Jesus, etc. And like how Jesus was just all about peace and love, etc. And like relationship to other people. And I'm like, Jesus was indigenous. Indigenous people are still practicing this. Like, why do I need Jesus when I have an indigenous person that I've seen in public space or follow online who's talking about these beautiful things, our relationship to each other, and they're still being ignored?
ignore. Mm. Um, I see God in everyone around me and not just one thing. God is everywhere. God has changed. And that's how I interpret that. Um, so Christianity still exists within me. Like mm-hmm. I still have these conversations because I operate within it from time to time when I interact with people. Like it's frustrating sometimes. I'm just like, how are you still using this book with all your amazing intentions for social liberation? Like how can you not let go of this? Well, mm-hmm. I'll say to that, like you can use it because Jesus was all about social liberation. Mm-hmm. I feel like like the 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 idea of Jesus has been so whitewashed mm-hmm. and so looked at from a capitalistic point uh-huh. of view that it's like I mean he was hanging out with I'm like these are things that are in there right and you guys are just glossing right over mm-hmm. the fact that he was not for anything that you know for example right wingers are mm-hmm. for right. you know what I mean um I think it falls into what I think we can't use the tools of the oppressor to liberate ourselves. That's where Absolutely. That, that's where that Absolutely. ideology comes into my mind, where I'm Absolutely. like, I, I, nothing from capitalism is going to free us from capitalism. Nothing from colonialism is going to free us from colonialism. Um, it's only going to be ourselves. But that's what yeah. I mean. Like, it's such a hypocritical thing to use the Bible in, in the ways that it has been used, because I'm like, half of the things are not like <laughs> I'm going to call in the practice of sending missionaries to other countries to destabilize Listen. them um, all these other <laughs> problematic issues that religion has been able to facilitate the harm against people mm-hmm. of color like we found out this white lady did like 450 surgeries and she's not a doctor and oh not a doctor oh my gosh, and was operating under like you know missionary services things yep. that American exceptionalism allowed people to do or the missionaries that have been molesting children yes that yeah. too the harm yeah. of sexual abuse and like also castrating our sexual desires i think i'm having large conversations now because um i'm i've moved into activist spaces from being like this radical queer guy in new york city and like new york city dating culture has opened me up to like the idea of polyamory sexual fluidity being Mm. free with my body because you know like our bodies have been heavily sexualized or Mm -hmm. told that they couldn't be sexual um and religion has played a huge part of that and i'm like we once again these are ways that we've been disconnected from each other or ourselves that we need to be able to sit with and unpack because we as humans have been having intercourse since it existed like it and it's been beautiful practices and it's been all these other things but once again uh these lenses of colonialism capitalism hypersexuality that have been perpetuated Mm -hmm. by christianity virginity all these different ideologies of purity um just perpetuate different types of harms within our world that we see them we're like oh this idea of a girl being a slut comes from the Bible because she had sex mm-hmm. before marriage. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, and I I remember Dr. Moreno Vega talking about decolonizing your identity. And I think when I first heard that for me, it was like, what does that mean? Especially for someone who considers himself to be very spiritual. And there was a lot of what who are my ancestors, right? Mm. Like who specifically are my ancestors? And when you're, you know, a child of of descendant of slaves unfortunately um and not unfortunately be a descendant of slaves but unfortunately like have that legacy be part of you know the african diaspora but because documentation you know there's no real documentation but still trying to figure out how i can honor my ancestors in figuring out like what were their uh spiritual practices right Right. what were taino spiritual practices what were some of the different forms of African spiritual practices and like trying to figure that out and how do I incorporate that into what I already believe or what do I believe? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like these are all 
conversations that are really important to have with yourself yeah. um, and with your community and finding the best ways of decolonizing what that means as far as identity. Because um, I think a lot of times we think of identity as being like this external thing, but yep. there's also a lot of internal thing. Um, and and I think with sexuality, I think that that is one of the biggest things. And I think a lot about how I experienced church growing up. Yeah. And then when I you know became a quote unquote woman, how people started to view me differently Mm -hmm. um and you know and i'll i'll be very honest about it like i was called a whore in church Mm -hmm. and i was a virgin wow wow i you know what i mean like i've had one boyfriend my entire life but because of my skin color and because of you know what i look like oh she's a whore she's got to be or she's fast or whatever you know like yeah all these different things and and i think that's when i started to process the idea of like oh I'm not, I don't fit in here, you know, or like I'm already being, uh, um, what's the word crucified (laughs) (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. just because of what I look like, you know? And then when you start seeing like the racism within the church and how bodies that don't uh, fit into the mold of what virtuous, especially, especially, Female bodies, mm-hmm. you know, how they're policed, how they're disciplined, how they're put into such a box. Mm. Um, and it's so detrimental. And, you know, a lot of times, uh, I feel like many times Christian women are the loudest voices. Yes. <laughs> um, or or that, that queer identities don't exist or that mm-hmm. queer sex doesn't mm-hmm. exist. Yeah. And the that, spectrum is not real. You're either this or that. And mm-hmm. it makes it harder for us to navigate and find each other because, yeah. like, we as queer men or women etc who have been subjected to the harm of church have to unpack that have to sit with the Mm -hmm. fact that initially when we come into our sexualities we come into it thinking that it's bad and evil and shameful and shameful and it's not and it's the way that harm and white harm has perpetuated itself Mm -hmm. there's no shame i'm so glad you brought that up i'm glad joey i'm so glad that you brought that up because (laughs) i feel like that I feel like, honestly, I feel like the conversation about Christianity and Catholicism is such a taboo to still talk about, even yeah. within mm-hmm. like chest progressive. Tight while we're talking, yeah. about right? It right now. Because and especially within the Latinx community, yeah. too. It's mm-hmm. just like because don't... it's such a thing that we grow up with. I mean, church and 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 yeah. God and Jesus and the crucifix, like all of that, is such a part of our Absolutely. identity mm-hmm. and who we are as as a, as descendants or the the, the Latinx diaspora. Mm-hmm. That it's like we don't talk about how yeah. harmful it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. I also, you know, uh, talking about uh, sort of centering pleasure and thinking about desire and, and you know mm. I've been reading uh, Adrian Marie Brown's Pleasure Activism yes. and just like really uh, <laughs> undergoing like a lot of conversations around that and, and around like thinking about the ways in which my own desire have been thwarted or a sense of shamed, re- shamed yeah. and, and a sense of also like the what, what, what I imagine relationships were supposed to look like what I imagine you know and like really going through like this like you know my parents are child uh, you know high school sweethearts like mm-hmm. I had this whole like uh, sort of false reality in my mind of like what a nuclear family looks like what the nuclear family looks like and Mm -hmm. this sort of normalizing Mm -hmm. of desire and relationships and especially you know it's actually now I'm like kind of tripping out because now that I'm thinking about all of my CCD classes and realizing where so many of my issues like come from you know but thinking about like the activism of centering pleasure Mm -hmm. and really thinking about like what happens when you are centering that as uh, as a way of decolonizing a, a lot of the ways you've been uh, brought up. Mm-hmm. I just uh, actually was working on this 
play in Minneapolis by this uh, uh, writer Marvin Gonzalez de Leon called Pangenesis, and it's a it's a play about bonobos monkeys mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. bonobos mm-hmm. apes, and mm-hmm. and you know it was actually really fascinating because it was looking at the bonobos culture, uh, com- you know tribes and their uh, sort of matriarchal tribes. And they just, you know, like bang it out. Like they get stressed, bang it out. They are, uh, uh, you know, have an issue. That's what it's for. I'm sorry. And then also to enjoy and experiment Absolutely. and be free. Um, we are conditioned into like different types of like attention, uh, like attachment types when it comes to dating. Men are more avoidant. Women are, uh, quote unquote, sorry, I don't want to gender these yeah. things because they are across the gender and I'm just learning about these, these things now. But uh, cis heteronormatively, men are considered avoidant attachment. Women are considered uh, like a, an anxious attachment because there is harm. Like women being emotional is considered wrong when we've just been told that we aren't allowed to articulate what we need. Yeah, and um, when there's a reversal of that, and you know what I mean. Yeah. Like when there's a reversal of that, it's like <laughs> that's the shaming, like. Because you talk a lot about, like, femme shaming. Yes. And, no, because men don't know what they want. Like, I'm going to just say it. Men really don't know what they want. I'm a queer person, <laughs> queer gender nonconforming person, and I'm interacting with masculine presenting folks across the spectrum. Yeah. And it comes it comes down to, like, these cis heteronormative things that men, mass presenting people, et cetera, still hold on to. Um, and it's all conditioned in not being honest about our desires, not being honest about our needs for intimacy. We all need and crave intimacy just as human beings as physical creatures and we've been conditioned so far away from it which is why it's perpetuated in Christianity even (laughs) queer men have these issues where they're not properly unpacking their femme phobia their queer phobia these other things because they're afraid to get in touch with their pleasure like their deepest pleasures Mm -hmm. like they're afraid that they're gonna want something up their butt and I'm like we need bottoms. We need tops. We need verses. Like you can't be upset about where you fall <laughs> the on that math spectrum. Has to be right. Yeah, the math has you, to can't, be right. you can't continue to repress where you fall on those spectrums because of the way cis heteronormativity has Absolutely. conditioned us, especially mm-hmm. as yeah. queer people. We can, and people of color. We can't perpetuate those same harms, and we can't like crucify ourselves yes. for wanting to have sex, mm-hmm. which is a natural desire. Mm-hmm. Or masturbating. Or masturbating, <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> Definitely talk you about laugh, it. You laugh, but it's like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. What's one of the first things that, like, you're in church and, and like, when you start, like, you know, you get to, like, a prep prepubescent age, it's like, you better not be touching yourself yes. or even before At church? that. Yeah. At church, Listen. yeah. That's why circumcisions are a thing. It yeah. was to dissuade male yeah. sexual pleasure. Like, circumcisions are a thing because the church fought for it and because it was supposed to, once again, like, castrate our desires for yeah. sexuality because men weren't being held accountable. Like, no, we'll cut off the tip of their penis instead of having them rape everyone. And guess what? They're still going to go, go and rape everyone yeah. because you're not actually talking about the issue. You're making it about this thing um, that's based in repression and, like, not of us, like... God, I want to. I hate clothing. I hate. I want to be. <laughs> I, I want to be on that wave of decolonization. Like we everyone, decolonize our clothes. Everyone like love your bodies. Yeah. Everyone love each other yeah. and respect each other and Absolutely. have these conversations and be honest with ourselves. Like I've spent a lot of time unpacking my own shit. Like quite, mm-hmm. pr- pr- like I practice it. Yeah. And you may never get to a point where you've fully done it. Exactly. Exactly. But being interacting with people that are have all the well intentions but aren't yeah. actually doing the work comes with it, its own different set of issues because, yep. like, how do I hold you accountable because you think you're doing this thing mm-hmm. but you're not actually doing this thing? Mm. I, I look at a lot of 
that as being a journey that we all have to kind of take and it becomes like a personal journey. Like the person that I am today is not the same person I was 10 years ago. And it's not the same person that you'll be 10 years from now. Exactly. Exactly. So I I think even a year, even a year. Absolutely. And then, but, but there's the hope that in having conversations like this, it starts to spark things within people to like, you know, really start to look at like how they're, they've been affected by these legacies of trauma. And I think, like, I think to that point, you know, it's a continual, continual work. Mm -hmm. It's not like, oh, I did it today. Great. I've achieved. (laughs) Wokeness. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, I got my decolonizing cookie and I'm good. Let's go. We're constantly being triggered. We're constantly being traumatized by the things we interact with. And the way we interact Mm -hmm. with each other, I harm people. I know that I'm guilty of harming other people. I hold myself accountable for it. Um, But it's a continuous practice and it'll never end. And it'll never end. And that means that people need to stop being fragile about doing it we Absolutely. just need to do the work on ourselves to bring it to others um yeah. uh i have anxious attachment because of the way that i was raised and the harm that i saw like within my family dynamic like it made like i don't feel secure in my relationships and i have to actively interrogate that yeah. um and i'll be forthright with that because it's Oof. a dialogue we need to start having um but like it doesn't it that means that i need someone who's going to understand and be able to he- help me heal not someone who's going to avoid and perpetuate the harm that I've already experienced and Mm. we interact with it so frequently because once again this person this queer person can have all the well intentions about the things that they're doing but they can still perpetuate masculinity Mm -hmm. avoided attachment Mm -hmm. styles all these Mm -hmm. other harmful things that just because they can't communicate and that's what it comes down to it's like a mixture between communication and commitment that I'm still working on and Mm. having dialogues about um, with queer and femme presenting folks in movement spaces because it's us it's literally queer and femme folk doing all this work and we're like men need to be in these spaces and men need to know how to show up Mm. well i think you bring up a really important point of uh how we within ourselves are also perpetrators perpetrators of um the oppressive systems that we are um victim and conditioned to um and i'd love to talk about that as well like within the community and then how we see that being expressed in theater yeah but yeah i think (laughs) (laughs) take us there well you know a lot of it makes me think of for example i see a lot of latinx folk and latinx organizations put their fists up in the air for black lives matter Mm -hmm. but then turn around and have no problem spitting in the face of a black latino Mm -hmm. or a black latino or a black latinx um and how anti-blackness is so inherent so inherently part of our culture and Mm. our community um, and how we express that in different ways um, without even realizing it. Mm. Um, And, you know, a lot of times I'll look at organizations and it's like, we're for the people and we're about inclusion, but there are no black people on their advertising, (laughs) black people in their boardroom, black people in their offices. Like it happens all the time. Like there's a lot, I'm a social activist and like I worry about who I work with and then like, Mm -hmm. it'll be like POC, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like all white Latinx people, white people. And I'm like, where are, where's this diversity? Well, diversity failed us. Diversity failed us. No, we need, it's such a buzzword. We need, we need, uh, what is it? We need POC leadership, POC leadership. And Mm -hmm. that's where it fails because white people aren't ready to listen to people of color yeah we don't need 
diversity anymore. We need POC leadership and anti-racism work, which is a discipline, which is like we are actively being conditioned every day through our media Mm -hmm. to be racist. Like that's real. So we have to sit with ourselves and see what we're consuming. Like decolonize your Instagram profile. Don't follow those hot boys. Don't follow those hot girls that are Eurocentric. (laughs) Like stop (laughs) buying those products. Like we know how we perpetuate Mm -hmm. these things, Mm. but bringing up these conversations about interpersonally and within PWIs and theater um, is super important. Yeah. Yeah. But, and even that term POC, sometimes I'm like, what does that mean anymore? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm <laughs> too is, light to claim mean? blackness. So I, I use that term. But yeah, it's across the spectrum. Like, And we can talk about it. How do you feel about the term POC? Talk about it. Well, I, so I think it's a, to me, the word, when I first heard it, especially, I was like, oh, this is a great word that we can become, you know, express sol- solidarity yeah. through. Mm-hmm. But it hasn't been the case it's perpetuated more harm because yeah. white people and white passing people continue to hold the privilege within that dynamic yeah. mm-hmm. um but also how even within poc spaces anti-blackness yeah. is not addressed or expressed yeah. right like anti-blackness within the asian community yeah. anti-blackness within the latinx community and even you know colorism within yeah. the black community you know, or just like the anti-blackness of Latinx blackness versus yeah. of mm-hmm. African American mm-hmm. whiteness, uh, yeah. blackness, mm-hmm. and like yeah. the the divisions between that. And once again, I just feel like we can't keep holding the tools of the oppressor against each other. We mm-hmm. have to find where we do intersect and how we aren't uplifting each other. And it becomes an accountability thing. Accountability is super new. When we think about accountability, we think of cancel culture, which once again, that was white people that made that so that we can mm. harm each other. Cancel culture isn't Preach. true. No one's disposable in this new world. Absolutely. We have to learn how to exist in conflict and talk about these things so that once again we are having these conversations so that I could be like yo did I harm you or if I felt like I harm you I could be like oh I'm sorry sometimes I'm ableist or and or like I've had moments where I've said things that were either ableist or uh, transphobic because I gendered things mm. um, like I said male and female not including the other parts of the gender spectrum and then I've caught myself afterwards and I'm mm-hmm. like okay well mm-hmm. this is something that I have to think about because I said it it came out my mouth um, and not many people are reflecting on what yeah. they say that's mm-hmm. a different thing and i think that's the part that we don't follow through as pocs right yeah like for example when we were building the latinx playwright circle i literally made it a point to like okay where are the asian latinx playwrights where are the black latinx playwrights where are the indigenous latinx playwrights because it's like it doesn't make any sense to have this organization that's supposed to reflect the latinx or the spectrum of latinidad and not have that be reflected in the writers or in the playwrights that's where diversity <laughs> fails us. That's where diversity you know, fails us. And but it's very interesting how we, right, as oppressed people can, can call out. Well, not just perpetuate. Yes, perpetuate. But to me, it's always been interesting how we can knock on or, you know, pound on white American doors and say, you guys are oppressing us. You guys are leaving us out. We want space. And then turn around and do it to ourselves. Mm. You know, and I that to me is hypocritical it is mm-hmm. a form of of hypocrisy but it also shows our own blind spots absolutely and how you know we're perpetuators like you said of these systemic uh forms of oppression mm. and i'm very interested in how do we move towards rectifying that yeah mm-hmm. 
It's interesting. I mean, all of this is, is you know, it, it makes me think uh, in this conversation of POC and, you know, often like I, I too with you was with like, oh, yeah, you know, this is great. Like, I remember the first time I heard uh, a teacher of mine say that I was an uh, uh, use the word artist of color. Mm-hmm. And like, I felt like I found an identity. And this was like prior to really identifying as a Latinx artist, because, you know, I, I had many complicated feelings about my own Latinidad mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and was doing a lot of theater within the black community, you know, and someone and I was like, okay, well, I, I I'm not black. I know that. Um, but what am I? And so, you know, the idea of artists of color. And, and so, you know, for me, it's like I've been very excited about the idea of this this phrase, you know, but often now seeing it at the erasure of blackness. It's like, mm-hmm. when do we say POC and really mean black? Like, yeah. say black. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and vice versa. And, you know, there was a meme that I read or it wasn't a meme, but it was like a sort of article and story. And I saw this and it, it got me thinking, you know, but there, it, it said, you know, not all Latinx are POC, mm-hmm. you know, and I was like, oh, that's really complex and complicated. You know, and understanding and recognizing, I think, as we've been talking about the ways in which our own identity and the the many sort of layers of privilege and identity that come with being uh, white passing or lighter skinned mm-hmm. or or not, you know, and, and sort of, you know, thinking about that and, you know, really sort of investigating now in this moment, like who has power and and thinking about that, you know, that, that you know, when you say, you know, POC leadership, you know, for me, it, it's it's like, you know, you know, black, black leadership, black leadership. Black we leadership. need black leadership mm-hmm. and uh, black female leadership and uh, black trans female leadership. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like more than ever. Indigenous you know, leadership. Indigenous mm-hmm. leadership. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's how we shift it. It's that if people like yourself can go into and create your program where you're already thinking about the, the wide spectrum of the f- work that you want to do and what you want to represent – Organizations should be able to do the same with their wealth of resources and their wealth of access. Like they should be able to do the same so that they are, but they're not trying to because once again, these systems that exist to make money, make money off whiteness, Eurocentricality, all these other things. So it's about getting them to understand that they can't keep with this top down idea of organizing around Mm -hmm. communities and it requires black leadership it requires and it's happening there are people that are taking autonomy like yourself to create pathways for us to liberate ourselves and show our art Um, but it does come at like the we need to like appeal to the people with the resources at times Well, Mm -hmm. but also there's a lot of emotional labor that goes with that I'm tired same (laughs) femme and queer folk are so tired Um, <laughs> like, but because you know i like i'm a very passionate person and i'm very passionate about like the things that i get involved in um but it is I, I, it is very tiring as a person who is black presenting to walk into spaces that i'm supposed to be part of and either be told to leave mm. which i've been told to leave from latinx spaces because I don't look Latina. (laughs) Um, Or when it's talking about, you know, representation, it's not full representation. Right. Yeah. And a part of me is tired of what sometimes feels like complaining, but I'm, I'm just, I'm ready for what now? Yeah. Right. And I think that unfortunately I don't accept people's ignorance anymore. Like you can't be ignorant about the fact that, you yourself are being racist. Right. Um, and I'm to the point where I just, I don't have interest in calling people out. Mm-hmm. And it's not your responsibility. And it's, it's not, not right. our responsibility it's not. to do that. Um, it's not. They have to get their own. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, but, but how do we, again, how do we move forward? 
yeah, it's this idea of the folks with the privilege and, and the intentionality. Like we have all these white passing people and white people with all these amazing intentions that have just been continuously ignoring people of color. Mm-hmm. That's where the issue lies. Mm-hmm. It it lies with the ignore like the ignorance of blackness and mm-hmm. the ignorance of being able to call these things into spaces because it keeps the money flowing. Um, and there's accountability that goes into it. There are institutions and like we can create our own alternatives. A lot of individual thinkers from our communities create their own alternatives and then change the perspective with the the social media where how that we have now the accessibility of mm-hmm. the internet etc to change these narratives and it is exhausting and it's work that has and had has has had to be done for over 400 years and now mm. we're able to do it um so it is exhausting and we could talk about how tired it is amongst each other and we can talk about how we sustain each other or don't show up like i can't make that event because like yo i'm tired from this protest or whatever right. or just because i interacted with whiteness in a way that it hurt my feelings in a very real way like <laughs> Yo, I had to enter this PWI program earlier this week, and I had to have conversations with the with the black leadership and tell them, yo, I can't be in forced community with white folk because it makes me uncomfortable. Like, I just had really bad interactions with mm-hmm. white people this mm-hmm. week, and I don't think I can do this program if I'm going to be in forced community with white people. So they moved me to a different group. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was so revolutionary. I was like, wow, like they actually listened to me. And then we had conversations about like decolonization. I'm like, wow, these spaces can exist if people uh, are actually about it, if people Absolutely. are actually about the liberation. Like, we can have these conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are tired. And the issue. I have with that I've been having with that is is that if organizations that exist now that we're creating can do these things why can't other people do that for us Mm. this structure that exists is willing to bend to my inconvenience as being a person of color that has experienced harm why can't we have this conversation within each other so that we're meeting each other's needs well I think and supporting each other yeah I think a lot of that from some of the conversations I've had with some people like there's also like ego right yeah and I think Getting past like the thing of like ego and who are you really serving when you're, you know, part of an organization. I think that's one of the really important things also, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's like I think a lot of times when we have organizations that are supposed to be like para la raza, (laughs) you know, there's a lot of like there's a lot of ego and there's a lot of individual individualism yeah individualism and mm-hmm. you know what do i benefit and how do i benefit which is that's the colonizer mentality we gotta <laughs> interrogate much. the inner colonizer we all have that inside of us it's the same voice that tells us to be ashamed of having sex it's the same voice mm-hmm. that tells us that we shouldn't be looking at black people beautifully like the eurocentricality of all of it mm-hmm. it's the inner colonizer that we've been conditioned to have and that we have to actively like decide not to engage with once again like i did the very purposeful thing of like unfollowing like most of the euro centric like pretty people that i followed and i was like no i'm going to intentionally follow black thought leaders and Mm -hmm. people of color and Mm -hmm. indigenous people so that my idea of what beauty is molds to that i've literally done the exact yo it's so beautiful (laughs) the exact same thing and so when i see other people who are like in love with i don't know what's her name rosalia rosalia but i like to say rosalia Um, (laughs) i'm just like Yeah, and they've been dragged for (laughs) their white Latinidad, like, across the spectrum. You don't know who Rosalia is? I know, I know who she is. I said I'm obsessed with you. (laughs) (laughs) No, and and that's the thing. It's like the the Eurocentricality of Mm -hmm. being a white-passing Latinx person or Spanish person. And And being able to, like, you know, uphold, like... Oh, I'm hood now. No, bitch, you from fucking Spain. And, and, you, get like, and you get urban music awards. Urban music What the fuck is that? 
<laughs> it's colonization. Let's call it what it oh is. Oh my god! It's colonization. Meanwhile, you've got like all these black reggaetoneras that are not like not even being looked at, not even being yeah. like you know brought in for features, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And it's but that's what I'm talking about. Like it's so frustrating, and I'm just like y'all. It's wear the pattern. Me the fuck out. It's the pattern, and like it keeps itself dumb Can to what it's doing. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it like... keeps itself dumb to what it's doing. There's a dissonance. <laughs> There's a like xenophobia. There's the Eurocentricalities. Yes. All these other things that are perpetuated within colonization that we don't interrogate within ourselves. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we can't bring this critical thinking to each other um, and feel like we can trust each other because that's another part of it. Like I walk into spaces like this, like any space I walk into. I walk into with intention. I have to expect that every email I sent, every conversation I've had, every um, interaction that I've had has put me in this space to have this conversation mm-hmm. because of the work that needs to get done. Um, and that's how I operate. And I'm like, it's beautiful because I get to have these conversations with beautiful black and people of color, etc. But it's like, these are conversations that need to be had everywhere. And people need to live that intentionally all the time. Mm-hmm. We need to figure out what we want from ourselves. Um, and then capitalism comes afterwards. Like yeah. time is going to exist. Money is going to exist. What do we want for ourselves so that we can liberate ourselves and then bring that liberation to other people? And it's exhausting because, once again, colonization is predictable. We get Rosalia. We get J-Lo. We get Bad Bunny. We get we get all these people. <laughs> Sorry. That. broke Devin's heart. There's, uh, I work out in the Bronx, and that's why I bring out Fat Joe, uh, Fat Joe and J-Lo, because there's this decentralization of the Bronx culture yeah. that yeah. people shit on the Bronx, but then you want J-Lo, but then you want Cardi B, but then mm-hmm. you want everything that comes from it, and mm-hmm. then you're not actually uplifting grassroots activists that are producing art. And, and are trying art. to protect the Bronx, and are trying to protect mm-hmm. the we integrity. out here. Oh, listen. Those Joker stairs were like, we oh, tagged time out online so that they would take down that article because I'm so glad y'all did because what in Yankee Stadium these places that bring white people out so that they can occupy the space and some but of the museums coming in yeah. yo Idea City we just shut that down too yes. uh, and holding museums accountable is another thing like there's this movement called decolonize this place which is how mm-hmm. I started my work this year like I started eight I months ago this place. yo they're the homies they helped me plan my action last week yes. um, and I'll be seeing them <laughs> Friday um, for the FTP action yes. um but they were at museums holding mm-hmm. muse- like uh, artistic institutions the accountable. Whitney. Yeah, the Whitney yeah. and one of the board members had to come down. And one of my friends gave me this beautiful thought where it was like museums and artistic institutions don't want to be accountable for the harm that they perpetuated by decentralizing our stories. Mm-hmm. They have been touted and been produced as this like haven for culture and um, diversity and like intermingling of cultures but when you walk into a museum it's a violent place it's a very there's violent there's place. violence literally written on the walls there's the taino exhibit in the national museum of the american indian right now I've where to that one yo i had to that's where i was on saturday for this program with the pwi um and we walked through the walls and me and like the other latinx people were there and we're like yo this like decentralized way of telling our story there was a wall that literally said we're the indigenous people quote unquote actually resisting colonization like isn't that ugly to think that we weren't actually fighting back and that's something they had written on the walls can i say yes i yes and i'm gonna say this i love john leguizamo but i hated latin history yeah. for morons because he totally like and it hurt my i actually started crying mm-hmm. after watching latin history for morons because to say that for 200 years that Enos fought went to different parts of the Caribbean and even came to like what is now the U.S. to warn 
other indigenous people of what is going on and then for you to say oh and then they were killed off and then and now we talk about and it's the largest the he just like like sleeks in that it's like the largest massacre to ever exist as a joke and i'm like like how, how? yes and and i feel like these are ways that we ourselves perpetuate it's the white passing yes. it's the white passing cis heteronormativity and how we keep perpetuating like these ideas of like oh that's not that important but this is what we should talk about mm-hmm. you know and and, and I was just, I was generally her, especially someone who you know has enjoyed his work in the past. I was super hurt by that. Yeah. Oh, and all Latinos are twenty five. I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm a lot more than twenty five percent black. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like these kinks ain't going nowhere. And so I, that's how I feel like we perpetuate so much of this ourselves by doing things like that. Mm-hmm. And so when I, you know, like I, I was happy that that exhibit existed mm-hmm. and I love that the Native American Museum and I think that Native Americans are very good about being um, fourth. Right. But it's still in, a like, government building. Like there was literally still, yes. a picture of Absolutely. Mike Pence and Donald Trump as soon as I walked in. Like oh that was the God. first thing I saw that morning going into this teaching program that i'm going to like i mean was a they picture. can't put any president any president because i feel like all presidents have been like yeah but like part it, of it's so decentralized uh, once again and like our when we were in that room like seeing the artifacts of the taino people in this space and we're like why isn't it with the original yeah. people and village that had it why is mm-hmm. it here for white consumption why yeah. is it mm-hmm. here um and i had the same feeling when i went to um the british museum uh, and like I just saw like literally entire buildings inside mm-hmm. this giant museum that were pulled from Egypt and I wanted to cry I was like this is a literal like this is someone's home this was someone's place of worship that y'all literally yeah. just uprooted and yeah. brought mm-hmm. to London well there are I mean I know that there are movements to remove a lot of yeah. these artifacts yeah. and like bring them back to but why original. is this a dialogue why isn't this a given understanding yeah. the harm that has existed and like I get it like it's an institution that needs to be taken down mm-hmm. but the foundations and all these other places that are hoarding resources um, are making money from harmful things. There are weapons manufacturers inside our institutions that make their money off the violence that happens across the U.S., Chile, Ecuador, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, Chile, Ecuador, Puerto Rico, et cetera. Like there are people in these institutions that are making money off violence, like yeah. literal violence. Um, but there's the the paper trail that's Which, covered up. Similarly, yeah. I feel like we can we see that, too, within theater when we have like and I'm guilty of this, too. I did move here. I'm not from New York. No, bless you. but, you know, folks. <laughs> But folks that move to, you know, New York City and displace people of color to then do theater work and then don't do any of the work to reflect the people that are here. Um, That's Uh, a whole nother conversation. No, that's a whole nother conversation. And we can all take our own responsibilities to see how we feel while interacting with our Mm -hmm. communities and not displacing them. And that's a longer dialogue that needs to be had. My idea of the traveling artist, the traveling whoever, whoever wants to take up space in New York City as a New Yorker, learn everything you can learn. Go back home. Fix your city. Mm. Go back home. Fix your city. If enough of you guys that went to the same high school that came to New York City can create these programs within the city, you can go home and fucking sorry and shatter expectations <laughs> yeah. and destroy expectations out there yes it's all centralized but i feel like there's a way that it can be done but mm-hmm. that's my idea of how how that doesn't perpetuate harm if every city had its own form of new york city or its own form of happiness just happiness uh theater programs in your small town that would serve the low-income communities that are there like isn't that beautiful yeah. collective breath yes <laughs> <laughs> wow um, 
Yeah, I feel like we can just sit here and talk for hours yes. <laughs> about I know. all this I w- stuff. I was like, why are you inviting me if you know how I get? <laughs> no, no but this is amazing. It's, it's, um, and the fact that, yeah, you just brought all of this yeah. into the space and for and the fact that we get to like share this with other people and it just filters out and gets yeah. continues to um continue keeps the conversation going yeah yes. we'd love to just uplift both of your organizations one more time and and each of you and if you can tell us our, our listeners how they might be able to find out more about both uh reina project and latinx playwright circle and and each of you individually so once again, I started this organization called Reina Project. If you'd like to find me, I'm on Instagram, Facebook under R-E-I-N-A Project N-Y. And I'm currently shadow banned on Instagram because I'm a queer person of color <sighs> yeah. producing my art. So please type it in oh, wow. <laughs> appropriately. But once again, uh, the work continues. I still have artistic exhibits and other things that I'm working on that don't involve this algorithm and we can subvert it. But the work continues. That's so crazy. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's real. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Latinx Playwright Circle. You can find us on online, latinxplaywrights.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Latinx Playwrights. We don't have an Instagram and we don't have a Twitter because I don't want to do all that. <laughs> uh, but we will. We yeah. will because, obviously, we have our intensive uh, reading festival coming up uh, in May of 2020. We're very excited about that. And I actually have a play that's part of the Barn uh, Lab Thier- Labyrinth Theater's Barn breeding series in January. Oh, awesome. Amazing. 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 Thank you both so much. Yes, for this was here. a really Thank exciting, you know, delicious yeah. conversation. <laughs> so much to munch on. Yes, yes. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome back. It is just David and I now at this point. And we're just kind of like breathing through wow. this like wild ride <laughs> of wow. a conversation that we just had in the best way, I feel. Absolutely, yeah. No, I mean, it was just such an exciting conversation. I think as we expected, it just, you know, it went there. It went there deep and sort of wide. And, you know, it was, it was. I'm so excited to, uh, to, to be able to share this with our listeners here at Soul Talk because I do think that so many of these conversations are the conversations that are so necessary to be had. And I think for, for so many reasons are not what's what the conversation that, you know, that it gets, mm-hmm. it gets stilted before it can go there. And I'm always just so inspired by by artists and activists who are who are doing the work, who are actively actively doing the work every single day. And you know, as someone who feels like I I have I have begun my journey in decolonization, I have begun my journey in really sort of my own uh, personal investigation in in, a, in a, a number of ways. I'm just constantly reminded in a conversation like this of how much work there is to be done, and mm-hmm. and how much work there continues to be done. And, and I think for those of us, especially who have any kind of uh, positions of leadership, you know, the responsibility, the call from within our own community to really be doing this work and really being intentional with your word and intentional with your actions and intentional with the kinds of space and platforms you're creating and narratives you're promoting. Yeah, it's all in all just super inspiring. Yeah. And I think, too, as we, you know, we're approaching a new year, a new cycle, and a really particularly important year. We have the next national census yeah. being documented in 2020 and an election happening in 2020. Yep. And I know a lot of people have a lot of feelings when it comes to identity politics, mm-hmm. but it's kind of, I mean, when you're, when you exist within marginalized groups, it's kind of hard to not yeah. involve your identity with, with, with the way that you're interacting in society and and, and the world. And so I I know for me, I'm definitely going to be trying to, you know, set really strong 
um, habits, intentions yeah. uh, as we're entering a new year. Um, and I just I encourage other people to like really sit with themselves and you know have that conversation with yourself. Yeah, Was it like decolonizing your your inner self and allowing that to yeah. kind of pour out into the work that you do, no matter yeah. what it is. And I think, you know, just being reminded of finding the language for yourself, you know, um, that frees yourself and, and understanding that, you know, identity politics, there's, there's so many different ways in which people navigate the world. And there's so many different intersections that, that each of us can really uh, begin to investigate at where we land within that crossroad, you know, and, and so it's an ongoing journey. And, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't stop, uh, it doesn't stop with one question. You know, I think it just, it, each question leads to the next and leads to the next. And the more generous we can be with each other and the more we can really listen and engage in these deep and meaningful conversations. I think the more, uh, you know, as, as our panelists said, you know, the more we can really shift things and, and, and create, create these organizations, create these spaces, create these opportunities that really center the liberation of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That being said, is there anything or things I should say that you're looking forward to in, in 2020? Oh, you're... wow. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm so excited for the new year. I'm so excited for, uh, you know, I'll be turning 35 this year, which oh, I've always yes. said is going to be my, um, I don't know, for some reason, I always felt like I would, uh, from, from a young age, I always said that like at 35 is when I will know who I am. And so mm. I'm excited about that and excited about the conversation that we've had here and the work that I have between now and then to really um, keep doing that work and keep discovering who I am and to be, you know, the best person that I can possibly be at 35, knowing that that will continue to evolve and change. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited for that. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, now for me at this point, my life has now shifted from New York to now being in New Haven. Can yes. I get, um, at Long Wharf theater? Yes. Um, and it's, you know, it's new and it's exciting. And I, I feel like I'm going to, I'm having a lot more, like have this whole sense of like having more autonomy over the pacing of my own life. Yeah. <laughs> New York just, you know, kind of has, like forces you into, into a certain pace. And sometimes you're there with it and sometimes you just really can't. And Absolutely, yeah. so, you know, I'm really excited. And again, you know, it's, it's right there. It's yeah. two hours away. <laughs> so It's great. New Haven's great. Go to Partners. Partners Cafe, <laughs> one of the one of the queer spaces. Yes, yes, absolutely. But yeah, I'm just excited to see like what that newness brings. I think it's really like fitting that the place is called New Haven. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm very, I'm very much excited to see how my life starts to unfold there. Thank you all so much for listening, and we definitely encourage you to get connected with Latinx Playwrights Project and Reina Project, and just follow the incredible work that these artists are doing. Absolutely, yeah. And we'll see you all in the next year. Yes. Bye. Bye. Thank you all for joining us for today's episode. Make sure you follow Soul Project on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On Instagram and Twitter, we are at Soul Project NYC and The Soul Project on Facebook. Our website is www.soulproject.org. 